This series has been about recognising what the real church ought to be, not just the fact that it's people, but how God's people, the real church, should behave. And today we come to the end of this series of Real Church, and we're going to be looking at what it means to be intentional in discipleship. Now, the word disciple, or you might think that the word disciple means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And while that's partly true, the actual word, it comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is methetes. And the word methetes, translated as disciple in the New Testament, literally means a learner. Now, while we are learning, we may be following, but it's much more than just following. While the disciple of Jesus might follow him, there ought to be this constant desire to learn from him, to learn the things that he wants to show us through his words, through his actions, his desires, his ways. The disciple always ought to be learning and growing to be more Christ-like according to the life of Jesus Christ. And the early disciples did listen to him. They learned from him. They were inspired by him and they followed him. And even after Jesus went back to heaven, they, they followed on the things that they had learned as disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is the process that we call discipleship. And it's not just a process where it's something we give out, but it's also something we need to have inward. There is a personal discipleship that we must be involved in where we are learning in ourselves to become a disciple, but we're also called to be part of the process of making disciples. There are many who know about Jesus Christ. There are many who know that he was alive, that he walked this earth, but a disciple is more than just knowing about Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who wants to get to know him, who wants to get to know his ways, his thoughts, his actions. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us and, and equips us so that we can respond to the word of God in the appropriate way, that we can respond to the pressures and trials that this life will throw at us so that we can be strong and, and faithful to the way in which we are called to live. The process of discipleship is a lifelong process. There's none of us who could ever get to a point where we could say we have reached the fullness of discipleship. It's always going to be ongoing. This side of heaven, it's not going to happen where we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and give him permission to do that. Give him permission to help us in the way that we behave, to help us not to conform to the patterns that this world sets for us. Unlike the other values that we've been speaking about over the past five weeks or so, this process of making disciples is not just reserved for the educated people. It's not reserved for the paid pastors, for the, for the leadership of the church. Discipleship is something that is for every single one of us. It's, a, it's another process where every Christian, every Christ follower ought to be part of. And the reality is that every Christian ought to be helping other people, other unbelievers, become believers. That's part of the process of discipleship. By showing them Christ, 
That's making a disciple. Every Christian ought to be helping others grow in their understanding of Christ's likeness and what it means to be like living the life that Christ called us and towards spiritual maturity. That's called making a disciple. Every Christian should be seeking to help themselves become more acquainted with God's ways and his works so that we can actually become Christ followers ourselves. That's personal discipleship. So essentially, we should be discipled or being discipled constantly and then making disciples who will then make disciples. It should replicate itself. And while in the early part of the our Christian walk, it might look a little different. We might be on the receiving end of being discipled. It isn't just the receiving that we get. Even as brand new Christians, we can be part of the giving outside of it, where we start to get a passion to pray for our non-Christian friends, where we start to share our testimony, our story of, of what Christ has done for us, of how we've come to know him with our non-Christian friends. And to be honest, many, not many new Christians are really, really good at that. They, they have an, an influence with people that you may not have an influence with. And we need to recognise that even as, an, as a new Christian, we have a responsibility of disciple-making as much as we have a responsibility of, what it, of developing a personal discipleship. The process starts when we start to pray for our friends, when we start to think who might receive the blessing that we have received as well. We pray that they might come to know Jesus Christ. We, we pray that they might see the, the, the changed life in us. We pray for the opportunity to go and talk to them, that they might listen, that they might be able to spend enough time so that we can share our story, so that we can tell them what Christ has done in our life and we can pray for them, that we might lead them to know Christ as we have already done. That's what this process of discipleship is all about. And, and we've read this verse many times before in our church services. We, we've read this many times, and I, I quoted it earlier, but Matthew 28 tells us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that you have been commanded. And lo, he says, I will be with you always, even until the ends of the earth. Do you see that? We are to go into our world and what? Make disciples, Jesus tells us. That's, that's our goal. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. The process says that following this or in part of this process is that baptism will be a natural response to that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And, and that baptism isn't the end either because it says, and then you will continue to teach them everything that they need to be taught so that they too can teach others how to be a true ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ and equipping them so that when others hear, they too might begin this process of discipleship. Paul encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2 and he says, you therefore, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And listen to this verse. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 2 is what we want to focus on. And these things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is four levels of discipleship taking place in that one verse. But becoming a disciple is not something that actually happens automatically. It, it, it really does need to be intentional because we are human beings and, and we tend to be a little lazy in those sorts of things. We get what we've got and we're happy with that and we don't want to do much else with it. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can't afford to be like that. We need to be intentional in our discipleship, intentionally doing what it needs to, to grow ourselves, to, to grow in Christ and to love others as we love ourselves. It's going to take a committed heart to endure through the process and the trials that this world is going to throw at us. So we need to be constantly growing the discipleship demands our time and it demands our resources at times. If we're going to disciple others, if we're going to make disciples, it's going to, we're going to need to commit to some time in doing that. If we're going to do this in, in to ourselves, we're going to want to develop our personal discipleship process. It's going to take time and we need to make that commitment right up front. Look how Jesus describes it might look like for to be a disciple. He says this in Luke chapter 14. He says, Now great multitudes went with him, him being Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not hear, oh, sorry, who does not bear his cross, and come after me cannot be my disciples. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all cannot be my disciples. This passage that we've just read contains one of the most difficult passages of the New Testament, I believe. And when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to you must hate your mother, father, brother, sisters. That understanding is one of the most difficult things to come to terms with. We're going to get to it in a short while, but I want to start with something else just for a moment. And that is, first thing, discipleship is costly. And I want to make a statement right here. Oh, there, is, there is a concept around the place that says there are different levels of Christianity. There are those who are you know, higher up in the, in the pecking order, so to speak, that are going to be more blessed than others. You can become a Christian 
At the other end of the scale, you can become a Christian and not do anything, but there are others who actually are going to grow. And there, there are different levels of Christianity. I want to say this right up front. That's not true. As a Christ follower, there are no levels of Christianity in that context. We are called to become Christ-like, little Christs. That's what the word Christian actually means, to be little Christs. As a Christian, our behaviour changes or ought to change when we have received Jesus Christ into our heart. If it doesn't, maybe we have not made that decision to follow Christ. Maybe we're still following the patterns of this world like Romans 12 tells us we should not be conformed to. There are some who would say that being a disciple is a higher level of authority than just the ordinary Christians. They, they use scripture to back up the argument because they point out that John 3.16 says that, that we are, all we need to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that all who believe in him should not perish. And then Romans 10 is another verse that they pull out and they say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there are numerous other passages throughout the New Testament that speak about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and John 5, in John 5 it says, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And, and they're all true. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. There is no other way to receive Christ except through the grace that has been extended to us. But while Jesus never used these words to describe salvation or in relation to salvation, he also never indicated throughout anything that he said that there were levels of being a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. There were different levels of salvation. He never said that. In fact, to the contrary, there are a bunch of verses in the Scriptures, New Testament primarily, which show that salvation is a changed lifestyle. It's a change of life. Back in Luke 9... In much of the same context that we've just read Luke 14, Jesus actually compares to salvation or compares salvation to this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. In Luke 9, he says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So in other words, what Jesus was indicating that while salvation is by grace and grace alone, through faith, faith, unless there is a change of life, unless there is a lifestyle change in the way that we do things, there, unless there is this inner change of heart that we have to be a loyal follower of Jesus Christ, we really may not have understood what it means to come to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. He was literally saying that if we want to be part of the kingdom of God, being a disciple is not an option. 
We are all called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe that's what the real church is all about. To not agree with that would put us into the realm of this imitation church that we've been talking about throughout this entire series. With our salvation comes the expectation of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not about levels of Christianity. It's not about some being better than others. Rather, the expectation is that we are disciples of Jesus Christ when we receive by faith the grace that has been extended to us. Our life will change. Our heart desire will change. God gives us a soft heart, a new heart. He replaces the heart of stone with a heart of flesh and everything changes. We recognize that to, to live our lives as Christ wants us to live is about obedience to him. If salvation has really come down to us, if we have received salvation, our life cannot stay the same. It's impossible for us to stay the same. Salvation is not just a decision that we make and then we go on doing what we want to do. But it is the mighty power of God at work in us that changes us from being part of this world. And we read it other times throughout this series where God, Jesus prays in John 17 that I don't pray that you take them out of this world, but I pray that you will leave them here so that they might be a light for the world. Your whole life is turned around when Jesus comes in. Paul tells us that God, who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. So the first thing I want us to see out of this today is this. Is, uh, sorry, the second thing I want us to see is that being a disciple demands a higher level of commitment. The first is that discipleship is costly. The second is that discipleship demands a higher level of commitment. And this new life that God gives us in Christ inevitably results in us living our lives in accordance with the way that God is wanting us to live. His nature, his heart, that we will begin to grow in holiness. We will want to live the holy lifestyle. Discipleship is the process of spiritual growth that we are able to experience. And that takes place as we get to know Jesus, not just know about him, but really get to know who he is. And I believe that the Bible is quite clear on the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, when, when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, he renews our mind. He causes us to think differently. And if you've never made that decision, you might find at this particular point in time, that you, this doesn't make any sense. But I, I challenge you and, I, and I'll put it to you that when Christ comes in, he will change the way that you feel and the way that you think. And he, through the Holy Spirit, will begin to instruct you in the way that you should live and how he wants you to live. He'll show you things that he wants you to change. He'll show you things that he wants you to use more. He'll gift you in areas that you didn't think you were gifted in. Paul was addressing this in the, in the book of Corinthians, to the, in the church of Corinth, 
When, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 these words, he says, Now therefore, it's an already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. What had happened, before we read on, is that the Corinthian church was starting to bicker. They were taking each other to court over stupid things, little things. And he says, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Why do you have to stand up for yourself so blatantly, is what he's saying. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, he says. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, or homosexuals, sodomites or thieves or covetous or drunkards nor revelers and extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God do you see that what Paul has just written to the church at Corinth you were washed and you were sanctified. You were set apart and you were justified. You were made right before God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has restored us to what he intended us to be. In other words, the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit causes us to change when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, we start thinking differently. We become new creations in Christ Jesus. And because of that, it, it's not right that we behave in the same way that we used to or in the same way that the rest of the world behaves because we're now different people. We should not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We can't stay the same any longer because we are now already different to the world. We have new life. We can't stay the same. The letters of Paul and Peter say this time and time again and, and others say the same thing, that the natural process for one who has given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ is that there will be a change of heart, a change of attitude that will grow and will mature and will become more like Christ. We can't continue to follow the ways of the world and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. It just doesn't work. You can't be going one way and going the other way at the same time. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan is the God of this world. And he has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message and the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of Christ. You want to know why we can't be going one way, give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and turn around and go the other way? It's because the way we were going is run by the world and the God of this world is Satan. That's what we've just read. We can't follow Satan and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. They are not compatible. They are opposite in their direction. 
It, they're on opposite sides. It's that simple. We can't be doing the same kinds of things when we're not following Christ as what we do when we follow Christ. It will change. So being a disciple of Jesus is, is, is really demanding that we live to this higher level of commitment. When we give our heart to him, we are called into a discipleship process. It's going to be hard. It, it might mean that there are going to be things that are legal in our world that we are not able to participate in because God has shown you that that's not right for you. It might be things that will, the rest of the world can do, but they're not right for us. Paul actually addresses that to the Corinthian church as well in 1 Corinthians 10.23. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify me. In other words, while I might be allowed to do them, they're not going to be helpful to the way that my life is to be living according to the way Christ wants me to be. As Christ followers, this process of discipleship is that we will begin to align ourselves with what God wants rather than what's legal or right in the eyes of, of the world. That's what it means to live to this high level or this different standard. The third point I want to share with you today is this. Being a disciple may be divisive. And Jesus says that if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your brother, sister, mother, father and give up his own life, he ultimately says. Now, hear me here. Maybe we don't need to do that physically. Give up our own life, I mean. Some will, some do. But maybe he's not going to call that to you at this moment in time at the very least. But at the very least, we must be prepared to give up everything. We must be willing to give up everything. And Jesus makes this statement even stronger when we read it before. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, why would Jesus, who tells us that we are to love our neighbour as ourselves, then go on to say that we are to hate our family if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? That doesn't make a lot of sense and we need to realise that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't align with what other passages of Scripture tell us either. So when we come across those passages, it causes us to dig a little deeper. And what we find is that the word that we have translated hate, the, way that, the word that we have used in this process is, is a different word to what we would normally say. Did Jesus actually mean that when he said that we ought to hate our family, we, we could only do that when we became a... Oh, sorry, we had to do that when we became a disciple of Jesus Christ. The clue really is behind, before us in, in Luke 14, 33, when he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. We must be prepared to do that. And the Greek word that translate, we translate hate is the Greek word missio. And it's, it's generally translated as hate, but it, it's in this 
Position, it's a verb that literally means to regard with less affection or to, to love less or to esteem less. And what Jesus was saying here, that we are to missio our family. We are to think more highly of God. We are to put him first. We are to be prepared, in what th verse 33 says, to give up everything to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We must truly love him to the point that if everything else runs against us, we would give it up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, what it's, that's the cost we need to count. It's, it might be costly, and it's a call to a higher level of commitment, but it also could be very divisive because there are some who are going to find that this is going to divide their family. When you... Give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is perhaps possible that there will be, at least hopefully only temporarily, but there is a possibility that there will be a divide between you and the rest of your family at that point. It's not that we hate them, but we are to make sure that what we do are because we love God and we're not to be distracted from our walk with Christ because of our brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, and the rest of our family. On one occasion, Jesus actually spoke the same truth, but a little bit more plainly. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. They were Jesus' words as well. So here's what he's asking. God requires total commitment from his followers and to the point of a heartbreaking separation of any natural kind of family members or relationships that we might find will reject Jesus Christ. Even if our families reject him, our commitment needs to be to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the cost of being a disciple. And that's where it gets really hard because it is divisive at times. Because we, we must recognise that while we might never have to do that, while we not ever have to give up everything in order to follow Jesus Christ, Satan is much more subtle in our culture, in our world at times. And he confronts us with things that others are going to find offensive and we hold dear to. So if, you are, if he wants to take you out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can be pretty sure of this, that he's going to address something. He's going to deal with something that you hold very close. And if you place your love of your family in front of God and Satan gets to that and takes away your family, your whole world will crumble. And he wants to do that. He's keen to do that. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to put me first because I am the one who is able to sustain you at that point in time. He's very aware. Jesus is really very aware that we are at risk of being distracted and sidetracked, of, of having our judgment clouded at times and not being able to think, process things properly. And in the stress of working and living and and making ends meet in our day-to-day -day life, we are going to come up against things that we're going to be confronted with 
that we're going to be conf- we're going to be called to cut down on things like or Satan is want to call us to cut down on things like church activities. You're so busy in the church, you might as well step back from ministry for a little bit. You know, you've got so much to do. Don't worry about what the church can look after itself. They'll find someone else. It's time that someone else stood up anyway. That's what Satan does. Unless, of course, we have this order right, that we seek and put Jesus first. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Satan will come at you from all sides. It may be the things that you've been working really hard for, your job. Maybe some things practically you've been, you've been acquiring or, or have close to your heart. Allowing your kids to have a better education. You've worked two or three jobs to get the finances to be able to do that. Jesus is saying, don't worry about those things. Don't pursue those things at my expense. Put me first, he says. Nothing is more important than following and obeying me. That's what Matthew 6.33 tells us. Jesus has just been talking to the crowds about, don't worry about what you wear and, and what you shall eat, that God looks after the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How much more will he look after you? Verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, talking about the clothes and food and stuff from day-to-day stuff, will be given to you as well. And that's what he means by these things. He's speaking about food and clothes and the day-to-day stuff that we require. Put God first and he will take care of the rest. The purpose of the real church is to be a place where people not only hear about Jesus Christ, but are also able to learn how to be the, or be Christ or be the way that Christ wants us to be, to be discipled and how, he, how Jesus Christ expects us to live. That contradicts, by the way, every single thing that the world is telling us to do. That's why we can't be conformed to this world any longer. The world tells us that we work hard so that we can have a better, you can, you can buy more stuff, that you can educate your children better, that you can actually live and move up the promotion ladder. You can have a better life. Life is meant to be lived and enjoyed and, and so it's okay to, to place work and, and, and sport and relaxation over putting your time and effort into some church-related stuff, to being like a disciple of Jesus Christ. It might feel hard at times, and it is hard. It's a cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what we read before. But Jesus tells us at the, at the end of Matthew 28, 20, we read it before, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We are not expected to do this on our own, and we don't have to. We, we have the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus says, I I want you to do well. I'm going to help you. But we need to do our part in this process. While the Holy Spirit will direct us, we need to do our part by putting Jesus first in everything that we do. We, We need to help and be part of this process by 
following Jesus' teaching and being obedient to what he tells us. If we have to do our part in being obedient to the word of God and, and not starting off on our own tangents and doing what we want to do, we have to be part of this process of, of loving others and, and having a love for other disciples of Jesus Christ, not being critical, not harming people, not putting people down, being a discourager, but being an encourager. And we are to help this process or to be part of this process by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all called to do. And I would say this again, that if you are breathing today, then God has not finished with you. And there's a fair chance that's everyone that's listening. Discipleship is a lifestyle that will cost. It will demand a higher level of, of commitment level, and it might be very divisive. The question that we need to be able to answer for ourselves is, are we willing to pay that cost? Because that's what it's going to mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's more than worthy because we receive salvation. And, and how do you place a cost on salvation? How do you put a cost on the free gift that you have received through Jesus Christ by grace through faith? How do you put a cost figure to that? The cost of being a disciple of Jesus. What's it worth to you? I, I actually believe that it is totally reasonable in light of the gift that we have been given the cost attributed to being a disciple is minimal to the gift that we have been extended. Eternity in the kingdom of heaven. An intimate relationship with our heavenly creator, with our heavenly father. There is nothing that is worth more than, than that. And so the cost of being a disciple is, is very much worthwhile in my opinion. 1 Peter 1 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold but from your, or from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was a free gift. You were bought at a price, Paul says in Corinthians. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Titus even goes on, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for us, for himself, his own special people." zealous for, the, for good works. So let us be intentional about discipleship. Let us be intentional about making disciples. Let's be intentional about developing our own personal discipleship because that's really what Jesus expects of us as his followers. The real church 
ought to be intentional about discipleship. He wants us, Jesus wants us to be equipped so that we're able to combat all the trials and tribulations that this world is going to throw at us, to be able to live in total trust to him so that our faith is not wavering. But, but God will support us and he will help us and we are to direct all our responses, all our struggles and, and all of those things to him. And that's often not what the world sees the church doing though. The world sees the church behaving in a way that's not really the real church. And the church at times is to blame for that and the church will have to answer for that. But we know what the real church ought to be and we're called to be his followers, the church, the real church, the Christ-following, disciple-making group of people that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church around the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, living in obedience to him in every way, every single day, so that others might see God in action in our society. So when all these things happen, God gets the glory. God gets the honour, all of which he deserves. So may God bless you as you move forward with your personal discipleship and help you as you move in the direction of discipling other people. Start praying about who you should, should be discipling. Be intentional in the process. As Timothy said, passing on to reliable witnesses who will be able to teach the things that they have learned to others as well. May God bless you and be faithful in the calling that he has given to you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, love, grace and mercy. And while this call to discipleship might seem a little daunting, we do know that we don't have to go through this alone. You have promised that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are to be your witnesses. We have the promise of being empowered by your Holy Spirit to guide us towards all truth. That in fact, Father, if we do this on our own, we're likely to fail. We need you. And I pray today that you would fill us with enthusiasm, with excitement, with love for our neighbour. There would be a joy and a desire to follow you like we've never followed before and to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. To you, Father, we give all glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.